Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. State officials have announced a new approach to getting the COVID-19 vaccine to people who are 65 and older. That group will be prioritized going forward. KQED's Laura Cliven starts us off with the details. The idea is to ramp up vaccine distribution to those at greatest risk of becoming hospitalized. Governor Gavin Newsom shared the plans through a PSA. Equity always as a foundation and a predicate, but now with cohort that includes everybody, 65 and over. People in the top tier to receive the vaccine, healthcare workers and long-term care residents, will still be able to get it. This comes after cases and deaths in the state continue to climb, with the state crossing a threshold of more than 30,000 deaths from the virus. Newsom has come under scrutiny for what's largely viewed as a slow vaccine rollout across the state. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. As was the case the first time, House Democrats from California once again led the second impeachment charge against President Trump. But they aren't the only key players from the Golden State. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports most of the state's Republican members of Congress are still among President Trump's staunchest defenders. Congressman Tom McClintock of Roseville did not support attempts to undermine the election last week, voting instead to uphold Joe Biden's electoral college victory after a violent mob stormed the Capitol. But on Wednesday, he was among the first to speak out against impeachment. I cannot think of a more petty, vindictive, and gratuitous act than to impeach an already defeated president a week before he is to leave office. McClintock spoke through a face covering that read, This mask is as useless as our governor. He said he didn't like the remarks Trump gave to rioters before they marched on the Capitol, but called it simply a fiery speech to partisans. San Diego Republican Congressman Daryl Issa agrees. Like many Republicans, Issa equated last week's armed attack on Congress with Black Lives Matter protests last summer. Issa says with just days left in the presidency, the question is... Is he a clear and present danger? And he clearly isn't. The president has acted substantially the same for four years. Of California's 10 GOP members of Congress, only the Central Valley's David Valadeo voted for impeachment. But fellow Republican Kevin McCarthy, the House minority leader whose district borders Valadeo's and who's been a loyal ally of the president, again stuck with Trump. For a closer look at McCarthy's career, here's my colleague, KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer. When Kevin McCarthy spoke on the House floor yesterday, the Bakersfield Republican said President Trump was partly to blame for inciting the insurrection, but he said impeaching the president, again, would only divide the country further. I understand for some this call for unity may ring hollow, but times like these 
or when we must remember who we are as Americans. And as history shows, unity is not an option, it's a necessity. In some ways, maintaining unity within his own ranks has been a hallmark of McCarthy's leadership. He's been able to keep moderates in the party relatively content, uh, and he's been able to keep the more conservative, the more activist members of the party relatively in line as well. That's Republican operative Sean Walsh. He says ever since McCarthy's days in the state assembly, he's used his people skills to rise above the competition. He's not in your face. He's not threatening. He's not pulling his shoe off and banging it on the table. And you feel pretty comfortable being around him. While attending CSU Bakersfield in the late 1980s, McCarthy worked as a staffer for local congressman Bill Thomas, a moderate Republican. McCarthy was able to parlay the relationships and connections Thomas had to win a state assembly seat in 2002. Former Republican campaign strategist Dan Schnur recalls that McCarthy soon established distance from his political mentor. When he got to Sacramento as an elected official in his own right, it was clear that he leaned more conservative than Congressman Thomas had. McCarthy soon became the assembly minority leader, while Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. Duff Sundheim was chair of the California Republican Party at the time. He says McCarthy always found common ground with the more moderate governor. So I never heard a crossword between Kevin and Schwarzenegger because they would kind of work it out and what they agreed on, they kept their commitments. When Trump got elected president, McCarthy was the top Republican in the House. Political strategist Mike Madrid, who's known him for decades, says McCarthy always keeps his finger on the pulse of his party's base and acts accordingly. And I think more than anything, that really, I think, explains his dramatic shift from being a very moderate, reasoned force within the Republican caucus in Washington to kind of one of Trump's main allies. But now, as the president's approval rating sinks and some Republicans jump ship, McCarthy is facing a potential challenge to his leadership. Madrid, who recently left the Republican Party and helped form the anti-Trump Lincoln Project, says McCarthy is faced with a crucial decision. Does he stand up and restore what exists of American democracy, or will he continue down the path of playing the political game of politics and undermine the Constitution and demonstrate fealty to a failed leader who's proven himself a traitor. Under McCarthy's leadership, House Republicans picked up 10 seats in November, including four in California. Now, says Dan Schnur, comes the hard part. McCarthy's greatest challenge on the path to what he hopes will be the speakership two years from now is being able to convince those Republicans who are still loyal to Trump that he's one of them, while being able to reach out to a broader ideological swath of Republican candidates and office holders who might have become much more uncomfortable with the president's actions over the last several days. And that will test McCarthy's considerable political skills more than ever. For The California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Almost a million and a half Californians who are out of work have been waiting for unemployment benefits since their accounts were frozen at the start of this year. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin starts us off with the latest on what some are calling the New Year's Eve freeze. The Employment Development Department locked the accounts in yet another attempt to fight potential fraud. Applicants got notices from EDD saying their claims had been frozen for suspected fraud and that staff would send instructions on how to unfreeze accounts starting January 6th. The agency promised all those affected would have those instructions by today. Many were frustrated the agency didn't provide the information immediately, but EDD staggered the rollout of the guidance to keep from overloading its already fragile verification platform. To make matters worse, some people say EDD is asking for information they've already provided in the past. Even if the unemployment agency does meet today's deadline, it could still be weeks before people's payments come through. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. In Los Angeles, leaders want to add some teeth to the city's COVID-19 mask mandate. The city council voted yesterday to have an ordinance drawn up that would add penalties for people who don't cover their faces as infections reach new highs across Southern California. KCRW's Tara Atrion has more on the city's new efforts. A recent confrontation over the virus went viral. The widely shared clash between employees at a Century City Mall and a maskless crowd was one reason Councilmember Mike Bonin drafted his motion. Maskless protesters are going up to people, getting into people's faces, uh, and deliberately using the fact that they are not wearing a mask as an act of aggression. His proposal directs the city attorney to drop an ordinance that includes penalties like fines and other punishments for not wearing a mask. They would apply to those who refuse to wear a face covering at an indoor public place when requested to do so by the facility's management, and for those who invade someone's personal space while maskless. An amendment also directs LA's enforcement personnel to prioritize citations for people not masking up in public. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. Let's go to the state capitol now, where legislators are meeting this morning to consider whether to keep mailing every voter in California a ballot by default. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. In an effort to prevent the spread of coronavirus at the polls, every registered voter in California was mailed a ballot last year. It was one of the reasons the state had historic levels of turnout without widespread lines. Because it worked out so well, 
we wanted to replicate that for 2021. That's Orange County State Senator Tom Umberg. He's introducing a bill to continue universal vote by mail for any election this year. Special elections and off-year elections are notoriously low in terms of turnout, and I, and I think this should help turnout by making sure everybody has access to a ballot. Umberg and fellow Democrats have also signed on to legislation that would continue sending voters a ballot in all future elections. A handful of Republicans supported the idea during the pandemic, but could be hesitant to sign on to a permanent change. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Some public defenders in California are part of a new multi-state coalition urging the incoming Biden administration to reform the nation's immigration system, a system they say is deeply unfair. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports. Among the public defenders' demands, halting deportations for a year while repairing the damage they say was done by Trump anti-immigrant policies. The nearly 40 public defense offices also want Biden to slash the immigration detention budget and reinvest that money instead in offering lawyers to those who can't afford one while fighting deportation. Here's San Francisco public defender Mano Raju. It's time for bold action from the federal government to ensure that no immigrant faces permanent banishment without competent, skilled representation. People in criminal court have the right to a government-appointed attorney, but that's not the case in immigration court. J.J. Ramirez is an accountant in Santa Barbara County who was detained for seven months by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He says while in detention, he reached out to more than 100 nonprofits before he was able to find a lawyer who'd represent him. Without an attorney, I probably would have been deported and I would have never had a fair shot at all. I got lucky that I finally found a lawyer, but no one should have to go through what I went through at all whatsoever. It shouldn't be left up to luck. ICE and the Department of Justice, which houses immigration courts, did not immediately return a request for comment. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. California may need to buy more power this coming summer if it wants to prevent the rolling blackouts that hit the state over two days in August. That's one of the conclusions from a new report by state energy regulators and the independent operator of California's grid. They said they share responsibility for leaving millions without power during the state's first rolling blackouts in two decades. Critics, though, say the problem wasn't a lack of supply. It was that California prioritized sending energy out of the state even even as strains on the system mounted. So, did Californians get fleeced when it comes to power costs during the blackouts? I asked that of Cal ISO CEO Elliot Mainzer in an interview earlier. You know, I'm not going to say that Californians got fleeced. I, I don't think that's, I think that that's a little bit too much. I think that certainly power prices increased significantly for a number of days, and that did lead to some increased costs. Mainzer added he doesn't know the exact numbers on how much more Californians paid. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, January 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com and Hint 
fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Delfetah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.